Good morning. Uh, my name is Sherry Ziegler, and today's scripture reading comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 to the end, and then chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. The trumpets and the singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sherry. How many of us in here have ever watched the show on HGTV, House Hunters? Anyone ever seen or seen anybody of this show? Some of you are enthusiastic about this show. Um, I have a, a video clip this morning, about a two and a half minute clip, and it kind of riffs on this show, House Hunters, and it's a little mini show called Church Hunters. Let's watch. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They're young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sessions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? So like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want, we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm -hmm. know? Hey guys, What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, wow. that's good. Big deal. Okay, oh. so there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, oh. no, okay, got it, yeah. perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Okay, right, let's come on. Do it. I do love this lobby. It's yeah. a great lobby, you know? Yeah. It's not too big, not too small. Yeah. Yeah. Should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. So you need. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits. So if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Oh. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, right. it's pretty traditional here. So when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got <laughs> it. Yeah. But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, oh. for the... Yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the sanctuary walk of shame. Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. Yeah. What about, uh, is it community-oriented? Absolutely. Great. The parking situation, you guys got to see it. Super rare nowadays. Come with me. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents come into maybe. town. Yeah. For a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday Holidays. type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. <laughs> I'm glad you got a kick out of that. I, I like that. I like that. I like that because it, it kind of 
obviously satires a lot of the attitude that we in America have here when it comes to church. One of the biggest questions we have for ourselves when we approach churches, what can I get out of the service, right? How will this service meet my needs? Or, or here are the things that I'm looking for and I want to go to a service that matches those things that I'm looking for. And so I think in many ways, this way of looking at church places us in danger, making our wants and desires and needs the most primary thing. I think we're placed in danger of making our preferences and making what we want out of church the primary thing when it ought not be about what we want out of church. It ought to be about what God deserves. Many of you know this life hack, but I'll just give it to you in case you don't know. So when you go to Culver's, on your receipt, if you fill out a survey, they give you a code there. You go to tellculver's.com. I know it by heart. You fill in your survey code, and then you fill out a survey, and then it'll give you a confirmation code that you write on your receipt, and then that entitles you to a free scoop of ice cream. So my family has eaten ice cream for free because I've turned in four completed surveys. No questions asked. They look, there's, all right, here you go. Yeah, flavor of the day. Now, no toppings, okay? No toppings unless it's flavor of the day. But go on a good flavor of the day, you turn in those receipts like hotcakes. But... When you fill out the receipt, you kind of, they ask you about like, please rate your overall satisfaction with your experience at this Culver's. And there's a scale of highly satisfied to highly dissatisfied. And I show you this survey because I think sometimes this is how we approach worship. It's like, how was service today? Were you highly satisfied? Were you kind of neutral? Or were you highly dissatisfied? You know, it's kind of like, I want to go to a worship service where I'm highly satisfied. And I think we have to be really careful with that because it places us in danger of making worship about us when worship ought not be about what we want. Worship ought to be about what God deserves. Worship ought not be about what we want. It ought to be about what God deserves. We started this new series last week called Rise because we're in the midst of a rise to a new chapter in the life of Grace 242. We're in the midst of a rise to our new worship home at 249 Main Street. So it's fitting that as we rise to this new home for worship at 249 Main, that we're looking at Israel's rise to the temple in Jerusalem under King Solomon. And today, our scripture reading comes from the dedication of the temple This celebration that Solomon is hosting for the opening of the temple, they take the Ark of the Covenant and they place it in the temple in the Holy of Holies. The Ark was like the throne of God, the chair of God. They put it in God's throne room and God will rule from that Ark, from that Holy of Holies. And then they celebrate as God's presence comes upon the temple. Look at 2 Chronicles 5, 13-14. The trumpeters and singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raise their voices and praise the Lord with these words, He is good, His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. And so they cut the red ribbon of the temple, they put the ark in there, and then God's presence in the form of this glory cloud comes down upon the temple, and the glory cloud is so thick that the priests can't even go in to perform their priestly duties. And it's so fitting that our children's message was about the glory cloud today because the glory cloud has been a significant part of Israel's history. The glory cloud was the cloud that protected them from the Egyptians like we saw in our children's message today. And the glory cloud was the cloud that led Israel through the wilderness. 
Look at Exodus 13, 21. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And then when they came to Mount Sinai, which is the place that they would camp for a year while God reaffirmed his promises with his people Israel, the glory cloud came to rest on top of Mount Sinai so they could see the presence of God. Look at Exodus 19.16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. And then in a parallel passage to our scripture reading today, when the people put the finishing touches on the tabernacle, which is this tent home for the Lord, when that is completed, the glory cloud comes from the top of Mount Sinai into the tabernacle, just like we saw in our scripture reading today. And just like our scripture reading today, the presence of God in the glory cloud was so thick in the tabernacle that Moses could not even go in. Look at Exodus 40, 34 to 35. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. And a dense cloud came down on the mountain. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this glory cloud is all over Israel's history. The fancy theological word for glory cloud, uh, this glory cloud, is this is a theophany. And simply put, a theophany is a visible appearance of God. It's God appearing in a way that we can see. We need theophanies because... As John tells us, no one has ever seen God. Anyone ever seen God in this room? Who's ever seen God? You might have someone in your life who says, I don't believe in God because I can't see him. I'll believe in God when I see him. And so you might show your friend the human body and you might say, look at the complexity and look at this amazing design of our human bodies. They're incredible. Doesn't that show you that God exists? And what you're doing in that moment is you are showing your friend God's handiwork, which is our bodies, but you aren't showing them God. You're showing God what he's made, but you're not showing them God. Or you might point to the stars in the sky and space, and you might say, it's so big and it's so vast, and there's so many. Doesn't that suggest that there's a higher being who made all this stuff? Doesn't you just, all you need to do is look up and see that God exists. And it's true, you're showing them God's handiwork. It's beautiful. But you aren't showing them God. Because no one has ever seen God. And so in this case, the glory cloud comes down upon the, te the temple and God is showing himself in the presence of the glory cloud. It's a manifestation of God's presence that we can see because no one has ever seen God. And then we get to the second half of our scripture reading today. Look at Second Chronicles 6, 1-2. It says, Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. And so in verse 1, Solomon acknowledges that God has been with them for all of this time. Solomon acknowledges God's abiding presence. And then in verse 2 of chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, Solomon gives the purpose of the temple, which is a home for that presence of the Lord. And I think these verses are very significant because this celebration of the temple opening is a big deal for Israel. It's the first time in Israel's history where they will have a permanent home for the Lord. But Solomon is saying, verses 1 and 2, that less than the temple is God's abiding presence. More important than this permanent home is God's presence with us. Now it just so happens that we have a permanent home for him. And so really, the greater matter for Solomon is God's abiding presence, not the temple. And here's where things get really practical for us as Grace 242. 
is what will be the primary thing for us as we rise to 249 Maine? Will it be the space itself or will be Will it be God's abiding presence with us? I'll tell you, I'm thrilled. I mean, I kind of tipped my hand last week at how excited I am to get into that place. And just like last week, I walked into this place this morning, and as good as it's been to us, I went, (laughs) still here. (laughs) Like, I cannot wait to get in there. And I sometimes lie awake at night just thinking about, you know, the possibilities that this provides. And, um, I mean, it is a big deal for the first time in our church's history that we'll have a permanent centralizing home for worship. And I think about the, the space that we're allocating for a nursery again. I mean, it's been three and a half years since we've had a nursery. It's been three and a half years since we've had a space for students that we're actually setting aside a room for our kids. And I can't wait to like look through that window in service and see them hanging out in that room and causing a whole bunch of destruction. It's just like, I can't wait to see that. We probably shouldn't be so careful about that room now that I think about that. Let's just shut it. We'll just leave it the way it is right now. No, but I, I, I look forward to that. I mean, I can't wait to have a sanctuary where it's just like stuff is set up and we're not reconnecting things in the AV and okay, now we got to test it again to be sure that it works and please, Lord, let it work because if it doesn't, we're out of luck and, you know, I, I just can't wait for that. And probably the biggest thing for me is I envision that foyer and I'm thinking about all the different chairs that we envision, high tables, low tables, like comfy seats, couches, and I just envision you all clutching coffee and sitting there and like catching up with one another and that's, that's the most exciting part for me. And so I'm getting jazzed about this stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. But it can't become the end-all, be-all. It has to be about what God deserves, not about what I want. These are all things that I want, and they're all okay, but it can't be about that. Worship can't be about these things that I want. Worship has to be about what God deserves. And all he's doing in this is providing us a place in time and space to do those things. It's not about what we want, it's about what God deserves. And despite the excitement, it has to remain about who he is, making much of him, and what we owe him, which is our lives and our enjoyment of him and our giving him glory. That's what it has to be about. So that's easier said than done. It really is. Especially when we live in the culture that we live in, you know, which was satired by our clips. So so how do we do this? How can we keep the focus on what God deserves and keep it off of what we want because left unchecked, it's going to become about what we want. And we have to keep the focus on what God deserves. So how do we do that? Well, our scripture reading gives us the answer. Look at 2 Chronicles 5.13. It says, The trumpeters and singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And I think that chant of the Israelites and the musicians is the how of how we keep the focus on who God is and what he deserves and take the focus off of what we want. We chant with the Israelites, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let's look at the first one. He is good. God is good. How do we keep the focus off of us and on what God deserves? We say with these rights, God is good. Now, this certainly includes God's goodness to us. He's very good to us. But when we say God is good, 
We are equating God with goodness. We're saying God equals good. God is good by definition. In his very essence, he, what is good? You want to know what good is? Look at God. He is the definition of what is good. Now that word good in Hebrew is tov. Okay, everybody say tov in like a good voice. Tov. Yeah, it's good. God is good. He's tov. And the opposite of tov in Hebrew is ra. Everybody say ra in a bad voice. Ra. Bad. Okay. So tov is good and ra is bad. And those two words show up in Genesis 2.9 when we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of tov and ra. The tree of good and bad. And what do Adam and Eve do to the tree? They usurp their role as God's image bearers. And they stretch out and seize the godlike status of determining Tov and Ra. Right? They don't want to let God be the decider of good and bad. They don't want to let God be the decider of Tov and Ra. They want to be God themselves. And so they stretch out in an effort to seize that decision-making power, that godlike status. They don't want to be God's servants. They want to be God himself. And that not only happens with Adam and Eve, but it happens with us as well. We want to play God. We don't want to serve God. We want to be God. We want to decide what's good. We want to decide what's bad under our own power. We want God-like status. We don't want to submit to what God has called good and what God has called bad. We want to be God. And so when we come into worship and we declare, along with the Israelites, that God is good, it's reminding us, I've tried to play God this week. And I need to repent of that God playing. And I need to go back to the one who truly is God and remind myself of my status. That I'm his created being, and I exist to serve him. He is good. He is good. So when we declare God is good, we are reminding ourselves of our status before him, that he is God and we are not. How do we take the focus off of what we want and place it on what God deserves? We declare with the Israelites God is good, and we declare with the Israelites God is faithful. The NLT renders this, his faithful love endures forever. Now that term, faithful love, is the Hebrew word hesed, and it's a pretty large range of meaning in hesed. It's like covenantal love, loyalty, faithfulness, and that includes God's faithfulness to his people expressed in his kindness. Right? So he, God expresses his covenantal faithful love to his people in kindness. What's really interesting is that this temple opening ceremony is happening during this annual festival of shelters. Sometimes it's called the festival of booths or the feast of tabernacles. And so what the people would do of Israel is they'd come to Jerusalem for this festival, just like they'll come here next week for a harvest festival. Man, this place has a lot of festivals. Don't they ever get sick of it? <laughs> like, like, another festival again. Like, can I ever use Main Street or is it only for festivals? <laughs> anyway, uh, only for so much longer. Only for so much longer. Where was I? Festival of Shelters. So the Israelites are coming to Jerusalem for the Festival of Shelters, just like Gilmore girls. And um, they're uh, building these temporary 
shelters, which is why it's called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Shelters. And so what they would do is they'd build this temporary shelter for the week, and then they live in that shelter for the week. And what that was to do is that was to remind the Israelites that once upon a time, they lived in tents in the wilderness. Once upon a time, they lived in temporary shelters as they wandered the wilderness with God leading them. And then as they lived in this temporary shelter for the week, it was to remind them that they were wandering the wilderness, but while they were wandering the wilderness, God was faithful to them. If you recall, the theme of the wilderness for the Israelites was grumble. Man, did they complain. I mean, they had just left Egypt, and like our children's message today, they came up against the water of the Red Sea, the Egyptians were pursuing them, and already, what do they say? Why did we leave Egypt? We should have never left there. Why would you lead us out here to die? And then the Lord, what does he do? He expresses his kindness and provides a way through for them. And then it's not long before they sing his praises coming out of the Red Sea that now they're like, well, now we don't have any food. And now we don't have any water. And what does the Lord do? He provides quail and manna for them to eat. He, provides, he brings forth water from a rock for them. He makes the water sweet when Moses chucks that stick in there. He provides so much for them. He is so kind to them. And how is God repaid? Grumble, grumble, complain, complain, complain. And we do the same thing. We complain, we grumble, we groan. And I, I remember being on tour with orchestra in, in college, and, and we were in Scandinavia. It was the first time I went overseas in my life, first and, and last time I went overseas in my life. And I should be grateful to have this opportunity to spend three weeks in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark and getting to see the world, and playing, and you know, presenting the gospel, I should, be gr- I should be grateful and ecstatic at this opportunity. But I spent most of my time grumbling and complaining about the schedule, we don't, we're not getting very much sleep, and this is a really rigorous schedule, and now we've got to you know, climb on the bus, and you fall asleep, and then you wake up, and you're in a new place, and, and I, I, I regret that. I spent most of my time complaining. And yet God shows us his kindness despite our complaints. Earlier last week, I I called Bev Ripple. It's been a month already since she fell off the horse in Colorado, suffered four fractures. Five. Five. She said, when I said four, she didn't correct me. Maybe she was being nice. Okay, it is five. (laughs) It is five. Had to be, so her vacation in Colorado is cut short. She's flown to Iowa you know, where she had to be in the hospital. And now when I spoke to her on Tuesday, she was going to be, God willing, discharged from the therapy facility that she was in. And then she said, I'm looking forward to my discharge, but even after that, it's at best, it's about three weeks of therapy thereafter where she'll be staying with her daughter. And I just was listening to her about her healing journey. And, you know, if it's anyone who had an excuse to, like, grumble or complain, I mean, it's Bev healing for a week, vacation cut short, can't even heal at home, missing her house here in Cedarburg, having to live in Iowa. And unbidden, I didn't even prompt this, Bev just started riffing. She said, you know, Bill, I've been thinking, and she said, when I fell off the horse, I did not hit my head. The Lord protected me. She said, and although I have five fractures in my bones, she said, bones heal. 
I didn't have to have a replacement of any sort of organ or anything like that. Bones in God's good design heal. It's just this amazing part of God's design. So I've been thinking about that. She said, and even though I'm in this facility, she said, the people have been wonderful. I'm getting excellent care. She did acknowledge that the food was pretty terrible, but she said it <laughs> with a smile on her face. And the whole time I can tell she's smiling and happy. And I'm going, when she picked up the phone, she says, Bill. And I said, you sound really happy for a woman who's going through what you've been going through. And then, you know, she has these three weeks at best. Hopefully, after three weeks, she can come back home. But still, three weeks out of not being at your house, she did talk about how much she misses the ladies that she, you know, has an apartment near here in Cedarburg. But Bev, unbidden, just began to recount the ways the Lord has been kind to her through all of this. She's like been through all this healing, and yet all she could talk about was God's kindness. How do we get the focus off of what we want and deserves? We declare with the Israelites, God is good and God is faithfully kind. Solomon cuts the red ribbon on the temple. This theophany, this glory cloud descends upon the temple, fills the temple so it's so thick, priests can't even go in and serve. And John tells us that no one has ever seen God in 118, but he continues, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. We see God's presence descending upon the temple at the temple opening, but then God reveals himself in the unique one. We know that John is talking about God's son, Jesus and so the glory cloud in the New Testament reveals himself to be God's son, Jesus. At the transfiguration, the glory cloud accompanies Jesus. Look at Luke 9, 34 to 35. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The glory cloud accompanied Jesus at his ascension at the end of his earthly ministry. Look at what the disciples see as Jesus rises up to go back to heaven. Look at Acts 1.9. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while the disciples were watching and they could no longer see him. And then the glory cloud will come back someday when Jesus comes back. Look at what John sees in Revelation 14.14. 14. Then I saw a white cloud. And seated upon the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp, excuse me, and a sharp sickle in his hand. We see the glory cloud at the temple opening, and then the glory cloud shows him to be God's Son, Jesus. How do we get the focus off of ourselves and onto who God is when we come into worship? We declare with the Israelites, God is good and God is faithfully kind. Amen.